0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like him. Well, good morning, church. Welcome
1: to Live Love 2020. If you ain't excited, that's because you ain't been here for one yet. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, We do this every year. And for the 11th time, I will walk us through the same things that I have walked us through year in and year out. And I got to be honest, as we move to this year's Live Love, it's been weird because everything is weird right now. Come on, somebody. It is. Everything's just weird right now. And as we move toward Live Love every year, there's this energy that kind of builds towards this season it's always kind of as summer's wrapping up and people are settling back into their lives and people are starting to come back to church again. And it's always this big full year. And as we move through this, now we're living in the realm of social distancing and tickets and all these things. And it just felt really weird. And there was just this there's weird emotion around this year but I was reminded this week that I didn't, God didn't birth this in my heart just so I could preach it to rooms full of people. Because I've been preaching this for 11 years no matter who was in front of me, whether it was a 1,000 or whether it was three. And I'm gonna preach it, I hope, with the same passion I do at a 1,000 as I did when it was three. Because I've been doing, this is the 11th time I will walk our church through these things. And yes, why do we do that? Because I believe that reputation Repetition leads to replication. That repetition leads to replication. That we do this every year in hopes that, that it will stick, that it will stay into who we are. And so I preached this for the last two years when we've been in this building and there's been over a thousand people in this room on a weekend. I preached this for five years when we were at random middle school, setting up and tearing down every weekend, transforming a middle school gymnasium into a house of worship. I preached this for three years before that at Randoman High School in their auditorium when it was only about 100 of us. I preached this before that at Southern Guilford Middle School over in Greensboro when there was only about 50 of us. I preached it before that when there was only about five of us at Adam's Farm Swim Club in Greensboro. I preached it before that when it was just me sitting across from people like Jason Austin at a booth at Elizabeth's Pizza on Groomtown Road in Greensboro. And I'm gonna preach this, I hope, till the day I die. Because, and and if you're new to Vintage, over the next few weeks, you're gonna get the essence of who we are as a church. But every year when this series comes up, there's a sense of excitement, but there's also a sense of relief. Because it means that we made it through another year. Because y'all, we shouldn't be here. We're not supposed to be here. We, I, I shouldn't be given the opportunity for the 11th time to preach this series because statistics say that we should not be here. When this movement was birthed in my heart and God called me to plant this thing called Vintage Church and I began to read about church planning, y'all, it's hard to start something from nothing. And when we began, we literally had nothing we didn't have some big financial support we didn't have any money matter of fact the very first sound system we use belonged to a friend of a member of our core team jason austin belonged to his uncle's bluegrass band we're not supposed to be here everything that i read about church planting said that two out of every three churches that are planted never make it to year three Two out of every three church plants never see year three. And here I am about to preach this for the 11th time. But you know, as, as I often think about my life, not only are we not supposed to be here, the reality is I'm not supposed to be here. I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. See, I've I've been somehow finding a way to avoid statistics my whole life. My biological mom gave birth to me when she was 16 years old. I'm 42. That's young to some and old to others. I was born in 1978. Anybody know what happened in 1973? Roe versus Wade. So five years after abortion was at the forefront of our culture, Somehow I made it into the world. I don't know a whole lot about my biological family, and to be honest with you, I've never really needed to, because when you grow up with the two parents I had, you don't need to know what happened before that. But I do know that my biological mom was 16 years old when she gave birth to me, and now I have no idea if abortion was ever an option. I don't know if that ever crossed her mind, but I can imagine being a teenager in the late 70s Pregnant with a child that you didn't want or ask for couldn't have been easy. Especially in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Camp Lejeune, surrounded by Marines. Waking up with morning sickness on the way to high school probably wasn't an easy thing for her. I'm sure that her reputation took a hit. And I don't know for sure, but I imagine what if there was moments that she maybe thought the, the easiest thing would just be to take care of this and move on with my life. So the very fact that I was born is a miracle to me. That I have life when there was a good chance I almost didn't. So just the fact that, the fact that I'm sitting here The fact that I am alive, that I have breath in my lungs, that I got to live in this world reminds me that God had a plan for my life. And if that were it, that would be enough for me to recognize that God was doing something in my life. But the other reality that that I can't shake is that not only was I born, I I didn't grow up in an orphanage. I didn't bounce around from one foster home to another. That I was adopted by the two most amazing people that have ever walked this planet. My parents chose me, yours got stuck with you. (laughs) I didn't grow up in an orphanage, I didn't bounce around from foster home to foster home. I, I, I got chosen by two people that for various reasons, couldn't have biological children of their own and adopted a little girl seven years before and decided they wanted a boy. I, the fact that I was born, the fact that I, was, that I had a home, and not just any home, but a home where, where Jesus was center. I didn't grow up in just any home. I grew up in a home and had two parents that constantly modeled before me what it meant to live in love like Jesus. From the onset of my life, I had people living under my roof who demonstrated before my eyes what it meant to live and love like Jesus. It's all I've ever known. And I don't mean the kind of the Christian that some of us are familiar with. I'm not talking about people who just went to church. Come on. I'm not talking about people who had the 50-pound King James Bible on their coffee table that collected dust and Psalm 23 crocheted on a pillow and just wore a cross around their neck and got little pins because they didn't miss Sunday school for 17 years, some of y'all know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that authentically, every moment of every day had a heart to reflect the life of Jesus and everything that they did. That's what I got to see my whole life. I grew up in a pastor's home I'm a PK, a pastor's kid. You know what they say about pastor's kids? We're all perfect angels. <laughs> Amen, Kim. <laughs> I, but there, come, there came a point where I had to make a decision. My whole life I've known the gospel. My whole life I know I've known that there is a God in heaven who loved me enough to not let me stay separated from him because of my sin. My whole life I knew that that I, I had sinned, that I had made choices in my life that had separated me from God. But that God who loved me so deeply decided to send his one and only Son and become a, a person. God in flesh, fully, fully human, fully divine, to live on this planet and to pay the price that I deserved for my sin by dying on a cross and shedding his blood for my forgiveness so that I could be made right with God and I knew that on the third day he rose again, has ascended to heaven and is preparing a place for me to live all eternity. I've known that since I was three. But knowing about God and knowing God are not the same thing. You can know all the details of the gospel and not have a relationship with God, come on. You can know all there is to know about how to have a relationship with God and not have one with him. Because there comes a moment that every person has to personally make that decision. To decide you're gonna do more than just know it as head knowledge and information, but you're gonna actually decide to surrender and allow Jesus to have your heart and live your life in complete surrender to him. And when I was 14, I, I made that realization and I chose Jesus for me. Jesus wasn't, because I, I couldn't go to heaven on mom and dad's coattails, and you can't either. So at 14, I made that decision, and a couple years later, I was 16 years old, and I grew up in traditional church that looked a lot different than this. And every year, we would have a Youth Sunday I don't know if y'all remember that. If you didn't grow up in church, every year the pastor was insane enough to turn the entire service over to the students. It's a miracle that really bad things didn't happen. But basically the entire youth, the service would be led by the student ministry. And my youth pastor came to me and said, Matt, on you Sunday, we want you to preach. So at 16, I preached my very first sermon, the worst sermon in the history of preaching. It was about seven minutes long. And if I remember correctly, there was some illustration that involved Corn and golf balls. I don't have a clue what it was about. That night, yeah, I said corn and golf balls. You're right. That night, I, I laid in my bed. And I now I've never heard the voice of God in an audible way. But something in my spirit said, this is what you were meant to do. Everything in your life is, is, is led to this point. I've been very strategic, Matt. I let you have, have life and, and I plucked you from death. And not only that, I put you in this place where you could grow up in this home with these two people and all of this has been preparation for the plan that I have for you. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to lead in the church. And I said, no. Because by the time I was 16, I saw the ugly side of the church. You ever seen it? There's some people in the room, you know that some of the meanest people at Cracker Barrel today will be the people that just left church. You don't have to say amen because I know it's true. I'd watch what my dad had gone through as a pastor. Now, 80% of what he experienced was awesome and beautiful, but 20% of it was those people that just, uh, the church was just another place for them to assert their agenda and what they wanted, and the pastor was always a good target for criticism and their frustration, and I watched him shed tears and I'd watched him in that agony and I didn't want any part of that. Even by the time I was 16, if I was honest with you, I loved Jesus, but the church I was uncertain about. So the next two years, I was determined to convince God I was the last person he would ever want to preach. So I've spent a couple years padding my sin resume. I, I knew what sin was. I knew that sin was the deliberate disobedience of God. You know what? I even knew that everything that God has called sin, he's called sin for a reason. Do you know that? God has not deemed something sin for your limitation, but rather for your protection. Come on. Everything that God has called sin, he has called sin because if you stay in that behavior or that mindset, it will lead to your destruction. He's not trying to keep you from having fun in a full life. He's trying to protect you. But I thought if I could, I could send my way out of the calling, I would show God he didn't, he didn't want me. As broken and sinful as I was, I spent the next two years doing crazy things, making bad decisions, dating a girl who I'm convinced was the devil at this point. She's gonna see this one day. Somebody's gonna send this to her and I'm gonna be in trouble. Um, 18, graduated from high school. And I had enough sense by then to realize that I didn't want to go off to college and waste my parents' money. My grades were pretty bad anyway, so I didn't really have a whole lot of choices. All my friends, or most of the guys that I was running around with, doing the things I shouldn't be doing with, went off to college for a semester. Because it turns out if you get drunk all the time and never go to class, they don't let you stay. And that year, it was, I spent a lot of time with my mom and dad. I was that cool kid that was a freshman in college and just hung out with his parents all the time. But in, the, in that year, I got to see the faith that my mom and dad had in a new way. I got to see and be reminded of, what it, of, the, of how good it is to live for Jesus, of how much better life is when you live in intimacy with God. How much better it is to live with Jesus as Lord than not. Not easier, but better. To see the joy and fulfillment in my parents, to watch the man of God and woman of God that my parents were. To watch my dad, who would often, in the mornings when my mom would back out of the driveway to head to work, my dad would stand in the doorway of our house, in the screen door, looking out, watching my mom till she was gone in the distance. And I could see his mouth moving as he was praying over my mom as she was headed to work. If I happened to get up early enough to walk into the kitchen where my mom would be sitting at our dining room table with her Bible and some black coffee, I guess one kind of counteracted the other just having time with God before she began her day. She always started her day with Jesus. And them living and loving like Jesus in front of me and to me through that season reminded me of how much better life is with Jesus. And that year I decided it's time. Like, I don't want to live without you, Lord. I don't want to live in rebellion I don't want to live this life anymore because it had moments of fun, it had moments of pleasure, but it always left me empty. And I chose Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I love you, but I am not going to be a pastor. God, I'll, I, will, I will follow you, I will serve you, I will, I will give to your church, I will, but I will not be a pastor. You ever try to tell God what you are and aren't going to do? And what I realized is what, a job you can quit, but a calling you cannot escape. Once God calls you, look at me, you can't send your way out of it. It doesn't go away. He is constantly sitting there waiting. I'm ready when you are. I haven't given up on you. Because see, that plan that I had for you, it was, it was instituted before you were born. Have you not read Jeremiah 1.5? that says even before you're in your mother's womb, I have a plan for you. That before you were in her belly, you were in my heart. And you can't run from it. And you can't send your way out of it. So come on back, son. I'm preaching much better than y'all listening right now or responding at least anyway. So finally I, I realized that I couldn't escape what God had in store for me and surrendered to that call and i even knew where god wanted me to prepare for it i went to this little small christian school in south carolina called southern Westland university and from the first day on campus god was doing things in my life i met this really hot girl named ashley tucker who is now my wife And it wasn't easy, but God was opening doors. In my senior year at Southern Wesleyan, I needed one more internship to graduate. And there was a a church about 20 minutes from the campus where I went to school who was looking for an intern for the semester. And the guy was on campus and came to meet with me. And he said, hey, I hear you need one more internship. I said, yes, I don't care where it is. I'll do it anywhere, whatever. So I started interning as a youth pastor at this little country church in this little small town in South Carolina. And about halfway through that internship, they came to me one day and said, Matt, we want to make this a full-time position. So when you graduate, would you consider becoming a, a pastor here full-time? At that time, Ashley and I were engaged. We were getting married in that, in that June, and they had an empty parsonage. you know what a parsonage is? It's, it's a semi rundown house that the church offers a pastor so they don't have to pay him a lot of money. Those who've lived in a, in a parsonage can, can testify to that. The rest of y'all are like, I think that's rude. Um, you never lived in one. Uh, anyway, so we, we I graduated from college and Ashley and I hit the ground running and God was so gracious to us through that, that church. Those people were so loving to us and cared for us and the senior pastor believed in me. I was this young kid right out of college and he saw something in me. From the onset he knew my passion for preaching and here this tenured senior pastor had been there for years, allowed me to have his pulpit once a month to develop my gift and preach the word. And God was really blessing and things were good and that church had the same things that every church has. There were issues, there were times that we would fight over things and I'm like, why are we fighting over this? God don't care about the color of the nursery. Just paint it. Come on, you ever been in a church where you wish people were as passionate about the principles of the word as they are their personal preferences? And then 2006 came, and everything was good, but I was miserable. You ever been in that spot where you're miserable and you don't know why? Where there's just something unsettled in your spirit, and, and you just feel like God's stirring and turning something in you? And I was, I was content to, to pastor and be an assistant pastor at that church for the rest of my life. I loved it. We had great friends. Ashley taught at a school she loved. I was, I was content, or maybe comfortable. And then I started just diving into the word. And God began to stir something in in me. I began to read through the book of Acts. And if you don't know what the book of Acts is, it's the the book that, that follows the Gospel of John that we just finished walking through, and it's literally the Acts of the apostles. It's those first followers of Jesus who got handed the keys to the kingdom and took the movement that Jesus started and kept it moving. And when I started reading through the pages of the book of Acts, what I discovered was there was a church represented in those pages that I had never seen in my life. I saw this organic, beautiful, powerful movement of God that I'd never witnessed with my own eyes. That before Jesus left, he had handed the keys to the kingdom to this ragtag group of people that we call the disciples. Do you remember this? Before Jesus ascended, after he had been crucified and he paid sin's debt, after he'd been risen from the grave and defeated death, he takes his disciples up on a mountain, and this is how it unfolds. Matthew 28 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And right there in that moment, the church got its purpose. On that mountain, on that day, we didn't need another book, we didn't need a committee. On that mountain, in that moment, Jesus said, here is why you will exist. Your mission from this day forward is to go and make disciples. That over the last three and a half years, I have discipled you. You've got to watch firsthand what it means to live out this life the way your heavenly father intended it. You've seen the way that I live and you've seen the way that I love. You've watched how I've lived in intimacy with the Father. Your job is now to go and tell other people they can have the same thing. Go make disciples. And church, in that moment, we had our mission. Not the mission of Venice Church, but every church. I don't care what the name is on your sign. If you claim to know Jesus, follow Jesus, then your mission and the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. And you know what a disciple is? I know that's a churchy word for some people. A disciple is somebody who lives and loves like Jesus. At its core, that's what a disciple is. <laughs> that Jesus looked at the, at the first disciples and says, your job is to go and inspire people to live and love like me. And in that moment, the church had its mission and if you look in the book of Acts, that mission of inspiring people to live and love like Jesus would be what would drive this movement forward in its early days. Go to Acts chapter one, verse eight. Because Jesus said one more thing before he ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, this mission that I've given you, you can't do it by yourself. That for you to accomplish what I'm calling you to accomplish, you're gonna need a power that doesn't lie within you. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. And so they go and they wait in this room and they wait for this moment when Jesus would send what he promised, this Holy Spirit. And so one day they're all gathered up and they're praying and they're crying out to God and boom, the Holy Spirit falls. Like lightning from heaven. Like fire from heaven. And this weird things begin to happen. And in the area in which they are, there are people from all over the world that spoke different languages. And when Peter would stand up in just a moment and preach the gospel, they could hear it as if he was speaking in their own language. And God began to do powerful things. And Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2. And this is part of what he says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter, on that day, Jesus has now gone up to heaven. And now he has the responsibility and the mission of continuing what Jesus started. And he stands before these thousands of people. Just a few days before, he couldn't even stand before one person and acknowledge Jesus. But now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he stands before a crowd of thousands and he preaches the first gospel message and he tells them how he knew a man named Jesus that they believed would be just some simple carpenter son from Nazareth, but he was much more. That he was the one and only son of God, fully human, fully divine, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for the sins of all humanity. That he was risen on the third day. And things begin to shift in their hearts And they know there's something powerful in the words of Peter on that day. And this is their, their, they asked Peter, what do we do with what we've just heard? How should we respond? And Peter in Acts chapter 2, he replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And on that day, this itty bitty movement of just a few hundred people now blossoms to 3,000 or more. That he stands up and he preaches the gospel. On that day, Peter didn't have cool lights, he didn't have dry ice hitting you in the face, he didn't have fog machines. He didn't have guitars or drums. He just stood up in the power of the Holy Spirit and told the truth about Jesus and people's hearts were pierced and everything changed. And what would unfold next is this powerful, beautiful thing. He called them to repent. And now I know that's a weird word. That's a churchy word. It's a word in church now we we try to avoid, but it's a beautiful word. Because it, it's, a, it's a word that brings back a threefold option. Responsibility, remorse, and resolve. That how this thing got started was he called them to repent. Responsibility, it means we take responsibility for our sin. The reality is you and I are sinners. You, you with me? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And that sin has severed our relationship with God. And we have to take ownership of that and understand that that's that's part of who we are. And we need to feel remorse for it, not just because there's bad consequences for what we've done, but because we've grieved the heart of a holy God. And then we resolve ourselves to turn and go a different direction and let Jesus take root in our lives. And on that day, hundreds and hundreds of people made that decision and the church was born And then what I began to look at next is really what began to stir something in me. Look at it. Go to Acts chapter two. Because this is what followed that day. (laughs) They They didn't go say, all right, we need stained glass and a steeple. What happened next was this beautiful movement of God led to actually, listen to this, led to people actually living out their faith. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, "'They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching "'and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. "'Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders "'and signs performed by the apostles. "'All the believers were together "'and had everything in common.'" They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I read that, I thought, that's what church is supposed to look like? People that are, united and they're living with gladness and sincerity they're not fighting over silly things that don't matter they're living in this sincere generosity where they're even willing to sell things and make sure people have what they need and it says not every Sunday but every day people were getting saved every day lost were being found dead people were coming back to life And this movement wasn't led by these superheroes. Acts chapter four, verse 13. says, when they, the relig- religious people, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these first people to lead this movement didn't have 17 degrees and PhD next to their name. They didn't graduate from seminary. They were people deeply in love with Jesus and determined to make the world know who he was. Acts 4 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind and no one claimed that that was their pew. Oh, wait. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Like I read about this beautifully, powerfully, organic Movement of God that was known as the early church. And what I discovered is what I saw in the pages of Acts, I'd never seen with my own eyes, and I longed for it. I longed to be a part of that kind of movement. And in that moment, vintage was born. If you look up the word vintage in the dictionary, it means representing the high quality of a pastime. And that's what our hope would be. That this church would represent the high quality of that past time. That we would be a part of a movement where the gospel was the center of it all. That we would be a body that would live in such a way that we inspired people to live and love like Jesus. Because it was people in the New Testament that lived and loved like Jesus that kept this movement moving. It was their willingness to go out and actually live out their faith in such an authentic way that changed the world. People often ask me, does vintage look like I thought it would? That's an interesting question. Does vintage look like I thought it would? (laughs) I remember when when we decided to move vintage from Greensboro to Randleman, I had dozens of people tell me we just killed this church because why would you want to move a church in Randleman? There's people watching online right now, they gotta Google Randleman right now just to figure out where it is. (laughs) But it was never even about a location. And when people ask me that question, does vintage look like you thought it would look? I wonder what you mean. Because when I hear that, I wonder if you mean, does, does it look like you thought it would? As like physically. When you when you thought about this church years ago when it was birthed in your heart, did you, did you ever imagine that you would convert an old Lowe's Foods into a house of worship? Did you ever imagine that that years later that God would, would bless you with amazingly talented, creative people that put together amazing things that inspire people who wouldn't otherwise to lean into the gospel? Would you ever be a part of something that God would surround you with such talented, gifted people. Sometimes you look around and think, what am I doing here? Did you ever think you would be able to stand before a camera and what happens in our church go all across the world? Can I just tell you, I never thought about any of that. So if you're asking me, did I think vintage would look like this? No, because I never pictured any of this when this was birthed in my heart. I never saw lights and stages and music and even rooms full of people. What I saw was people who would go into their office and love people like Jesus would. What I saw was people that would actually know where their neighbors were spiritually. What I actually saw was men who took ownership for leading their homes spiritually. What I saw is mom and dads who would engage their teenagers with conversation about Jesus. Everything I saw was out there, not in here. And don't get me wrong, I love the things that happen in this room, but this is not what I envisioned. So if you ask me, does vintage look like you thought it would? Can I be honest with you? I don't know. I really don't know if it looks like what I thought it would. You know why? Because I don't get to see it where it matters. I don't get to see it where it matters. I don't get to leave this room with you today and watch how you live your life. I don't get to sit in your home and hear the conversations you have with your spouse. I don't know how you'll treat your waitress at lunch today. I don't know if you even care about the spiritual condition of the people that live around you. Because those are the things I would need to know to know whether or not the last 11 years have mattered. And the hard part is I'll never get to know those things in so many ways. But what I'll do is keep standing on this platform and telling you about Jesus in hopes that you'll fall in love with him the way I have. Fall in love with him in such a way that you aren't satisfied with just coming to church. Fall in love with him in such a way that your kids will get to watch you pray over your spouse as they leave in the mornings. Fall in love with him in such a way you can't go a day without talking to him. Fall in love with him in such a way you can't breathe without his word. We exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. And whether or not we've been really good at that mission is measured out there. In the New Testament, they changed the world because they actually lived it everywhere they went. And until we do that, we will exist without purpose. Because this inspiring people to live and love like Jesus cannot be the motto of an organization. It has to be the mission of every individual in it. So I don't know how many more years I'll get to stand on this platform and do this, but whether or not I have this platform is insignificant because inspiring people to live and love like Jesus is my mission. It's personal to me. And I want it to be personal to you. So Father, I pray that inspiring people to live and love like Jesus this year would go deeper. It would be more than we've ever made it before. That it would be the desire of every human heart that calls this church home. That God, we would no longer settle for just being a part of something that inspires people to live and love like Jesus, but we would be the someones who inspire people to live and love like Jesus because we live and love like Jesus. Jesus. And so Lord, help us all to examine our hearts, to dig deep into our spirits and wrestle with that reality of who we are. God, you are called us to represent you well, to reflect you consistently. And so God, I pray that every person that's a part of this church would look into their own lives and examine where Where is that area that they're failing to represent you well? And God, maybe it's because their love for you has been diluted by all the craziness that we've experienced over the last several months. Whatever it is, God, just help us to fall in love with you because until we love you deeply, we will never live in love like you. And so God, stir in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.